You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Doug Tucker was the lead sports writer for the Associated Press in Kansas City for 35 years, arriving just in time to cover the Kansas City Royals' first appearance in the postseason in 1976 in just their eighth year of existence. He chronicled their three straight AL West Division pennants from 76 to 78, and then their first appearance in the World Series in 1980. He was there for their first World Championship in 1985. He also covered the University of Kansas run to the 1988 National Basketball Championship at Kemper Arena. He covered the worst program in college football history, turning into a perennial Big 8 and Big 12 power. He covered some really bad years with the Chiefs, as well as some dominant runs under Carl Peterson and Marty Schottenheimer. With the NCAA being located in Kansas City until the early 2000s, Doug also had that beat for the Associated Press. We'll get to one of his big scoops here shortly but he didn't just focus on Kansas City area sports. He covered the Olympics and several Final Fours, including the 1979 Classic that featured Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson and the 83 Final that featured North Carolina State's historic victory over Houston. He won several national writing awards, including Story of the Year by AP. Doug could probably tell you stories for hours on end about the people he covered in his career. In fact, let's get him to try and do some of that right now for us. Doug. Welcome to Sports Connections. Hi, Dave. Good to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. Hope your hope your holiday was a good one. And say hello to Phyllis for me. I will. She said to tell you hi. Okay. Uh, now, we'll just start with right. Jump right into the business. You didn't get to cover the Royals in 14 and 15 from a full time perspective, though. I know you were there for many of the home games because I sat next to you, uh, and you yeah. haven't been able to cover the the current run of the Chiefs under. Andy Reid on a full-time basis again. So the question is, do you miss being in the middle of the sports scene in Kansas City? Uh, You know, that's a complicated question. Yes and no. It's really nice to be able to just wake up in the morning and not have to go out and please a boss. You know what I mean? (laughs) Besides Phyllis. Yeah. Well, yeah, that goes without saying, but you know, I kind of do and I kind of don't. I, I, you know, when you do something for 35 years, it, it gets kind of old. Plus, the business changed so much Yeah. from the time I started in the mid-70s until when I stepped down from full-time uh, in 2011. It had just changed so much. Uh, it, it wasn't as much fun anymore. Uh, you didn't get a, you know, I can remember uh, just walking right into the training room after a game and and going into the training room and uh, talking to George Brett as he laid there on the table, you know, getting something taped up or something and uh, having full access to locker rooms and, and actually having the opportunity to get acquainted with athletes yeah. and coaches, become friends. You, you remember those days. Yeah. And and all that changed over the years I mean, because of the Internet. Teams, college and pro teams don't need sports writers like they did. And uh you know, I've said, you know, there's a, there's a, I call it Tucker's law. You can gauge how much progress was made in telecommunications and, 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 and communications through the internet by the parking facilities that were accorded sports riders at sporting events. When I started, you could just drive right up to the main gate. And over the years, the, your parking your parking space kept getting farther and farther <laughs> away, and and to to the point where you have you know it's a, you got to walk a block or two, and uh, you know the free meals for for sports riders before the game, that all went away, which was all right. You know they didn't owe us that, but uh, and 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 mostly access access dried up. You can't yeah you know and and, and it's, this year because of COVID and you know everything is done by Zoom. You know that that that's that's a different animal all to itself. But even up until last year, you know, you don't uh, you get uh, twenty minutes like at the Chiefs, you get a certain limited time to get into the locker room after practice. There's usually an assistant PR guy standing at your shoulder, whoever you're talking to, to make sure that there's nothing to report to the boss that you said this or you, or that the player said something that the organization doesn't want said. 
And I, I, I can remember in sitting at uh, Hal McRae, Hal McRae's locker after a Royals game, sitting there for an hour just talking to him. Yeah. And and now, of course, you walk in there and they there may not be anybody. There may be one or two people. The, the media might wonder sometimes, well, how come this guy is always the only one getting quoted? It's because he was the only one in, available. Yeah. And uh, so it, it wasn't as much fun. You know, when I started, I was the, the same age as the players. And it got to the point where I was uh, the age of their father. Then it got to the point where their grandfathers were my age. Yeah. So, you know, that too, seriously, you know, that, uh, young people don't like old people hanging around. I understand that. So it's uh, all in all, I don't miss it. I do not miss it. I, I know when we were sitting side by side in 14 and 15, you missed the, the rush of adrenaline but you didn't miss the work that went with that rush of adrenaline. And you, and what you said mostly at the time that you didn't miss was having to take that rush of adrenaline and turn it into words right now. <laughs> you know, you yeah. didn't have a chance to think about it. You had to do it right now. I'm sure that's when, when you watch a game now that you might think about how you would write about it, but then if it doesn't come right to you, you don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing I do miss is the creative process. I, 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 it, writing a good story and feeling like it was a good story was just as much a pleasure to me the day I retired as it was the day I started. Uh, you know, and I, that's, I've done some, you know, quite a bit of freelancing, not in the, I've kind of stopped that now, but the first few years that after I retired, I did a lot of freelance work and, uh, it, uh, I, I, I do miss the creative process. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you spent your, maybe not your entire career, but the time I knew you and even a little before that with the Associated Press, where creativity was kind of not, not uh, well thought of. <laughs> I, I'm trying to say you, you couldn't put your opinion in an article. You were not a columnist. You were there to write the story of the game or something like that. You couldn't put your opinion in too much. Was that hard to do as knowledgeable as you were about sports? As not, I shouldn't say were, as knowledgeable as you are about sports. Was it hard to not sometimes not put your opinion in? That's a good question, Dave. Sometimes it was. Uh, but I really kind of got in the habit of being a reporter. And, and there were, you know, there, I was able to write columns. We, back then we called them uh, uh, sports analysis. And, and it was a column. I used to do quite a bit of those. Okay. And uh, so... I got to uh, to scratch that itch occasionally, you might say. Uh, but I, I, you know, I I thought then, and I still believe that there is an elegant beauty in a well written, well researched, authoritative, objective story, where the reader isn't nudged this way or that way, whether it's in sports or politics or or whatever. Yeah, uh, and, and it's not easy to do. Yeah. It's to be a truly good reporter. It's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. And uh, so I got, I got to inject some opinion. And of course it wasn't all just game coverage. Right. I covered a lot of, uh, you know, I did a lot of uh, feature stories, human interest stories. The, you know, the most gratifying story I ever did was before I got into sports. I was just my first year with the AP right after I got out of college in Oklahoma. And I was uh, working in Tulsa and this was during the Vietnam war. Uh, and of course the old people will remember how the country was divided over the war. <laughs> Careful. And there not. was a woman whose husband was a, was a air force pilot who was killed in Vietnam. And she had, uh, I think it was five children and she had a heart condition and somebody started calling her anonymously and she would answer the phone. And this person would say, I'm going to kill your, children just like your husband killed all those poor Vietnamese children and it hastened her death and all of a sudden and, and she didn't have any family he didn't have any family the husband had really didn't have any immediate family so now here were there's these five orphans the oldest was about 15 the youngest was like three and I wrote a story uh, about that their plight and it went all over the country uh, and the, the money started pouring in from all over the United States. So there, there was a biker bar in San Francisco, as I recall, 
who uh, they set a, a big jar on the bar with uh, a copy of the story and, and bikers would come in and, and uh, put money in it for to it, This was, you know, before GoFundMe. Right. Right. And, and, and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars came pouring in and the pastor and his wife at their church legally adopted the children. And, uh, and I went out there a few months later to, to the house to do a follow-up story. And uh, it was very moving. The, the story that I wrote for, you know, AP, you know, went everywhere. And uh, it was all over the country. The, there was a, uh, a very wealthy woman, I want to say in Kentucky or, or Ohio or something, whose husband had died, had been a flyer who was killed in World War II. And she set up a scholarship fund, a college scholarship fund for all five of the children. Wow. And, uh, you know, I, I, to think that, you know, I facilitated it. Yeah. And, and it, 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 all the other things that I did in my career, the, the, all the, the, the Olympics and all of the exciting events that I covered and, and all the fascinating people I got to know, that remained the most gratifying thing that I ever did in my job. Well, thank you for the reminder that all, you know, all that we do with sports, it's just about games. So that was a, that was a good reminder that it's, that it's, this world is a whole lot bigger than sports, even though you and I both have made our living uh, writing about sports. So that was, uh, that's a great reminder there. You Mm -hmm. covered college and pro sports for a very long time. What was your favorite sport to cover? It really kind of depended on the on, on the sport that was in season, and, and that's not a cop out. It, no. People have asked that question before, and you know, it, 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 I would go to uh, cover uh, uh, spring training with you know in, in in March with the Royals, and 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 that would seem like you know that boy, this is going to be an exciting year. I, I really enjoy covering baseball, and then autumn would roll around, and then college football being my first love, growing up in Oklahoma. And, having Bud Wilkinson's autograph framed and hanging over my bed, I, I then it would be football season. And, and as the, as, as the leaves started to turn, I was really excited about football and ready to put baseball aside. And then, uh, and in the winter time when college basketball would heat up or for a while, the NBA, when Kansas city had an NBA team, I would feel really excited and, and, and feel kind of a rush covering basketball. And it, it really worked out that way. It, I guess if I had to pick one sport, it would be college football. Sure. I, 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 to this day, I enjoy college football. I don't pay much attention to much of anything else sports-wise, but I still enjoy college football uh, and, and, and the NFL. I, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I've been caught up in the Patrick Mahomes tsunami. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, that's, but, uh, but I guess if I had to, had to pick one, it would be college football. But it really depended on uh, on what sport was in season. Yeah, and I don't think that's a cop out at all, Doug. I, I had an opportunity to get to know Dick Enberg uh, through some other projects that I did, and and he, you know, he broadcasted college football and pro football, and the NBA and college basketball and Major League Baseball and golf and tennis, and and I said, "What was your favorite?" And he said, "What season is it?" That was his response, and it's just. Whatever. I mean, he was a professional. You are a professional. You get you, you have to be a fan to a certain extent to really cover the the event well. And by being a fan, you would get caught up in it. So I think that's I think that was a, a, a great answer to that. Who was the biggest character? I'm not talking about who was your favorite person. Who was the biggest character you covered? You, you know, in Kansas City from the mid 70s until 2011, there were some. <laughs> there were some characters in, in the different sports. Who was the, the most colorful? Let's say, let's put it that way. Oh gosh, Dave. Um, there were quite a few. Um, oh man, let me, th- um, I can tell you, who, I can give you a couple of the biggest jerks. <laughs> well, we'll uh, get to that, but people who made you regret being in the same room with them. Uh, <laughs> most colorful character. Uh Oh gosh! Uh, All right, we can we can come back to that. You can be thinking about do. that. <laughs> who who were the biggest jerks? 
Uh, Bo Jackson was uh, was no fun to be around. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He was. All, if you ask me, who was the best athlete I ever covered? It would be him, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, Bo Jackson was not much fun at all. He uh, he seemed to take delight in uh, in being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were there were. Oh, I can't even think. Who, who was the guy who, who was big with the Dodgers and had a cup of coffee with the Royals? The Gibson. Oh, yes. Yeah. He, uh, Kurt Gibson. Uh, he was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, so there, there were a few. Uh, so I, I, I'd say those two immediately come to mind. Okay. There I'm, were guess, I'm guessing colorful characters. You got to put Whitey Herzog in there. Um, um you probably, you probably didn't cover Hank Stram. I think he had retired right before, right before you came here. I, he did, he did. But I, uh, the last couple of years before I became the the sports writer in this in the Kansas City Bureau, I was uh, I would go out to games and assist the the sports writer who retired when I took over, and and you know go down and get quotes and things. So I I, I can honestly say that I am the only person who has interviewed and and connected with covered if you will every head coach the chiefs have ever had wow because i i did i did uh, I, I did several interviews with uh with hank stram you know assisting the guy who was uh, covering the team and then uh, i became a sports writer uh right after hank retired and paul wiggin replaced him and I uh, it, up to uh, Andy Reid. When Andy Reid came in, I was there for the news conference, and uh, I interviewed Andy Reid a couple of times, you know, as a freelancer and not not as the the main sports writer. But so I, I I think I'm the only person who can say that he has covered every head coach the Chiefs have ever had. That's that's impressive. Pretty, pretty good for a guy who's only 29 years old. <laughs> I'm guessing you're right. Um, now you're the you're basically then the Bill Grigsby of sports writers in Kansas City. Is that correct? I guess you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there there was a colorful character. I didn't cover Bill Grigsby, but yeah, uh, he was. Uh, you knew you knew Grigsby very well. Yes. He, yeah. He was. Uh, he was a colorful character. We need more people like Bill Grigsby in, in this business. Yeah. Well, and that transitions into my last question about the people. Who is your favorite person to cover in sports? Oh man, uh, Dave! That, 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 you know, who, who's your favorite child? Uh, <laughs> well, I only have two to choose from, so I know, I know. Give me a name. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, there are several. You know, um, you mentioned Whitey Herzog. What a what a jewel! What a jewel he was. He he he. Uh, you know, funny and 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 of course, Whitey was the manager of the Royals when I first started covering baseball, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think quite a good sense that I was new on the job and, 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 and needed to learn a lot about baseball and covering baseball. And he was helpful. I never asked him to, to help, but he did. He was, uh, I have very, very warm memories of Whitey Herzog. Uh, Bill Self and I became very good friends. Uh, uh, Dick Vermeil was great. Uh, athletes, Tony Gonzalez and I became good friends. Uh, uh oh boy i mean there, there's 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 been quite a few uh my favorite person to cover uh barry switzer you know as the big eight hit big eight being headquartered in kansas city i was the big eight sports center right got to know barry switzer very well uh got to be good friends with barry uh uh pat jones at oklahoma state when he when he was when he was head coach there um there were, uh, gosh, the favorite person to cover. I, I would have to, it, there wasn't, not one person really sticks at Frank Martin, who was at Kansas state yep. basketball coach, uh, gave me a very nice retirement gift. He, he and I became good friends. Uh, as far as athletes, Daryl Porter was one, uh, Frank White, uh, best who ought to be in the hall of fame. Yeah. Uh, let me, throw, let me throw one out. Let me throw one more out there, and I and I'm thinking specifically of one event that would put him on that list. And and you're probably going to slap yourself in the head when you when I mention the name. What about Mike Sweeney. 
Oh, yeah. I, I, here, I, I am slapping myself on that. Oh, that hurt. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, Mike Sweeney. What a sweetheart of a guy. Absolutely. He, 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 he's right, at the, right near the top, if not at the top. What, what a, it, the, he was the best right-handed hitter the Royals ever had for a cut, you know, and when he was, when he had his, his, his prime. Yeah. And, uh, and yes, Mike Sweeney, he, he was a sweetheart. Yes, he was. And I remember the, the story I'm thinking of specifically that we were in, we were in the press box working together. Uh, I was your sidekick way, way more than I deserved to be, but um, you were telling me after you and Phyllis got married uh, about something Mike did. And I remember you, I'd never seen you get choked up before, but you were getting choked up talking about how one unexpected it was and two, how much it moved you that he organized a gift, a wedding gift for you guys that you said, I, I don't, we don't realize how much these are human beings and they look at us as human beings because they look at us just we're doing our job and stuff but it really moved you that mike got his teammates to give you guys a really nice wedding gift i yes uh uh i i, I remember that well dave it was uh totally unexpected and uh and that's the kind of person that mike sweeney is yeah he uh he, i i have nothing nothing but good fond memories of mike sweeney I wish he could have played forever. He was yeah. a, yeah. He, he, he was a, you know, did you ever hear the story that when, when he was born, I think he was premature, but it was a difficult birth and they weren't sure if, if he was going to survive. And his dad, who was a big baseball fan, had one of those little, little tiny baseball bats yeah, and laid it in his cradle. And, and, and just gets kind of a good luck charm. Imagine that. Huh. And then he grows up to be a, a you know, an all-star baseball player you know like i say the, the best right-handed hitter that the, the royals ever had uh yeah i i do remember that uh he was uh he's really something yes yeah, yeah. i want to i want to kind of change gears here a little bit and talk about some of the issues that you and i have discussed in press boxes over the years and the first one that i want to talk about we we didn't we didn't ever come to blows over it but we had some pretty heated discussions you were one of the very few people I knew who knew about sports, not just casual fans, people who knew about sports who didn't want any kind of college football playoff because you liked the bowl system as it was. Um, do you, so first of all, I've got a follow-up question, but first of all, do you still feel that we'd be better going back to the old bowl system? Uh no, I mean we 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 we've got it. We've got the playoff now, and it's it's it's. I, I guess not. The reason I opposed it, and still kind of oppose it, is is because I thought it was nice to have one major sport where we didn't battle until there's only one man left standing. Yeah. Or in this case, you know, one school left standing. Right. I thought it was nice that 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 the you know a team like you know Kansas State. That I think we're going to talk about later as they were coming up, could go to the, uh, you know, the, the Alamo bowl or something, you know, one of the second tier bowls and not feel like they failed to make the college football playoff. Right. Uh, I, I thought just for, for the sake of the, the players and, and, and the fans that it was nice that, that it was better not to have a playoff because a playoff would somehow devalue they're going to a minor bowl or a second tier bowl. Uh, and like I say, it was nice having a sport where you didn't play till there was only one man left standing. Yeah. Now, Bill Hancock, our mutual friend has done such a good job of managing the bowl. He doesn't do it by himself. You know, they, they, right. I know he, he answers to that, to the ADs and, but he, but he pretty much runs it and, and he's done such a good job of that. I think I think it's 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 been good. Uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been a moneymaker. It's been very financially successful, as everyone knew that it would be. Yeah. So uh, so I'm not uh, I'm not saying that it was a mistake to go to a football playoff, but I I I think there was a lot of value to the bowl system. All right. So I'm, here's my follow up question, and and I've got my boxing gloves on, so. Uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go at it with you. 
what is the right number of teams for the ideal college football playoff? Well, I'm reminded of something that uh, a member of the basketball selection committee, the NCAA basketball selection committee said to me one time, right after they had announced their bracket that year. And I said something about, uh, well, there's a, you know, there's going to be a, some people criticize the field or something like that. Yeah. And said it happens every year. Somebody will go out and win the NIT and say that proves we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Yeah. And, and the, what if they go to eight, then the ninth team will say that uh, they didn't know what they were doing. If they go to, they go to 16, I think they're, so I don't really know what to tell you. I, I, I think four is, is, you know, the, the, my team, Oklahoma, the last couple of times in there as the, as the number four team of the, the, the four teams just got absolutely slaughtered yeah. by Alabama and Clemson and Clemson and Alabama which I thought kind of proved that it would be futile at least during this era to have more than four because, because the, the, the other teams just would not be competitive, you know, in basketball, in the basketball tournament, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, teams like Georgetown and Duke and, you know, and the, they can be upset yeah. by a team that, that's, that's probably not going to win more than once or twice every 10 times they play, but that's not going to happen in college football. Yeah. Very, very rarely. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I expect them to, to expand for money reasons. Uh, someday they'll, they'll probably start with eight, but then that, that creates problems It's scheduling problems, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and how much, how much can you demand of the, of the, of the college athlete without cutting them in on a slice of the pie? Yeah. You know, when Cedric Dempsey, became executive director of the NCAA. He's the guy that, that sold the NCAA to Indianapolis and moved out of Kansas City. Yeah. One of his agenda items that he, that he came in and wanted to do was start a college football playoff. So they put together a big committee of people to study it, all with the, the, the thought that what they were going to do was, was create the playoff. But the, the committee was just kind of for window dressing, you know, for public consumption. Well, we've studied every aspect of it, and they studied the bowl system and, and the, the television system. And somebody thought, well, it'd be a good idea, to, again, just for appearance's sake, to have a student-athlete committee. And so they picked, oh, six or eight players from high-profile programs and asked them to go talk to their peers and say, well, and find out what they thought about a playoff. And so after several months of all this, they all get together and, uh, and uh, they say, okay, uh, they ask the, the, the player committee, well, what, what did they say? What, what, what do you think? And they said, well, we talked to a lot of the guys, our teammates, guys on other teams. And yeah, we're willing to, to have a playoff, but what is our share of the money going to be? Yeah. And they said, what? Well, we don't want to have to play another game or two and not get a share of the money. It just wouldn't be fair. And the project died right there, <laughs> right there. It just had a heart attack and died. They, they, they dropped it entirely. They held a news conference and put out some BS about, uh, you know, we've studied it and we think there's merit to the, to, we're going to keep studying it and blah, blah. But they didn't dare do it because they didn't want to have to break up the system like that. Yeah. And not altogether for bad reasons. I mean, that's a very complicated subject. Yeah. But money drives it. Money drives it. I have no doubt that they will expand it someday because they can make more money. So the only I won't I'll take off the gloves now. We'll, I'll be civil about my my comeback on that. I think it needs to be eight for one reason only. And and I'm I'm not choosing to die on this hill even if you've got five power five conferences, as they're called, five conferences that automatically, well, not automatically, but, you know, everybody says these schools have an edge and they, and they do because the, the way the, um, the tournament or the, the college football playoff committee is structured is there's a higher percentage of power five representation. But um, if you have five, you ought to have the, the conference champions from each of those five as long as they achieve, achieve a certain criteria. So maybe you say you have to be ranked in the top 12 to get an automatic bid. 
But like, you know, why is it that Oklahoma, which stumbled twice early, but is playing as well as anybody late in the year, why should they be left out when Ohio State didn't have to play at all? Well, so you put the five conference champions in there and then your next three best at large, Cincinnati this year, um, uh, Texas A&M, and who's, who would the third one be? Uh, because the Pac-12 wouldn't get in under that theory because their champion wasn't in the top 12. But you take the top three, that way you're almost guaranteed if there's a good group of five uh, school in there to get them in and give them a chance to prove it. But again, it's, there is no correct answer. There's just opinion. So we can agree to, to disagree on that, just like we did 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago when we first started this discussion. So um, now another one I want you to talk about is when you were covering the NCAA, you coined the phrase, the death penalty for the, what happens when the NCAA stops the operation of a school sports program. So tell us that story, how that happened, what your original name was, and then how you came up with the death penalty. Well, uh, I wish I'd trademarked that term. I could have <laughs> been speaking to you right now from my yacht and moored off Maui. Yeah. Uh, I got hold of a, one of the best scoops, if you want to call it that, of my life. I found out that the NCAA staff and you know Walter Byers, the executive director, had decided to include in this list of, of uh, reform measures that they were going to take to the NCAA convention that, that, that year, the, a, a new penalty structure. This was a time when, when cheating, especially in football, was just so rampant. Uh, and, and everybody was clamoring for the other to do something. Congress was threatening to get involved. And I found this out. I had some, some contacts at the NCAA that nobody else had. And, and I knew that I had a hold of a, of a, of a really giant story because, because of the climate, because of the circumstances, if, if the, if the NCAA staff decided to, to ask the membership schools to adopt that, they were going to do it. It was going to become law. There was no question about that. And so I collected all the information, was really excited about having this, this big scoop. And I wrote the story and sent it up to the editor, the, the AP headquarters in New York, which is the way we did it then, you know, for the major stories. And the guy working the copy desk that, that day was a man named Marv Schneider, who was the sweetest person and the one of the very best editors that I ever worked with. Marv was absolutely great at editing a story. And, you know, I've got it on the screen here, you know, looking at it, and he's got it on his screen looking at it. And we're both excited because we know this story is going to be a blockbuster. Yeah. And I called it the, the, I referred to it as the gas chamber penalty. And we're reading it and reading it, you know, and going over it. And he, he suggested a little tweak here, a little tweak there. And he says, you know, I don't really like this, the, calling it the gas chamber. You know, there's, to a lot of people, that has very unfortunate connotations. Right. And as soon as he said that, I knew he was right. In fact, I knew that, you know, Marv was Jewish. Mm. And all four of his grandparents had immigrated from, uh, from like Germany and Poland. And he had told me before that he had members of his extended family who, who died in the Holocaust. Mm. So he certainly would have known what he was talking about. And, and I, 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 I knew exactly what he meant. And he said, can we think of anything else? And I said, well, what about the death penalty? Call it the death penalty. And Marsh said, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I like that a lot better. Yeah, let's call it the death penalty. So we did. And the next day, that story was used by just about every newspaper in the United States of America. Some some newspapers, you know, in, in areas where college sports was really big, put it on the front page of, the, you know, the, of the news section. Wow. Just the front page of the sports section. I mean, it got tremendous play. And the term, the death penalty, uh, just stuck. And uh, I, you, you, you still hear it all the time. I think it's only been applied once to SMU just a yeah. few months later. Uh, but the, the threat of the death penalty, I think, probably did have a deterrent effect. And, uh, you know, people as recently as uh, Missouri a couple of years ago, they were worried about the die. I was in the car radio or listening on the car radio. And 
some some person from Missouri was told we're going to get the death penalty if they give us the best death penalty we're going to sue and all of that uh so nobody has gotten the death penalty since but uh it's you still hear it you still hear it all the time the death penalty gosh if i could have collected 50 cents every time anybody said it or printed it uh i would have retired a lot sooner Dave, let me tell you. <laughs> well it's interesting you know we we talked about the associated press you know not letting you um not letting writers give too much opinion that was a really good example of when they let you use your creativity what was your what was your favorite all-time? Do you remember your favorite all-time lead, either for a for a first lead or a write-through? Because I'm going to tell you mine. I remember calling you the next day after mine ran, and you told me that you didn't remember the last time your lead ran verbatim. So do you remember your favorite all-time lead? Gosh, there were so many great ones, Dave. Let me see. <laughs> uh. don't, don't pull a muscle, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I, I God, uh, uh, well, let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I can't come up with anything. I'm sorry. Um, okay. My all-time, uh, there were a few that I was proud of. Uh, uh, I, you know, the the creative process is is so strange. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, one that comes to mind that got that, that a lot of people liked and coming around, uh, when Hal McRae was the manager and the Royals were so terrible, uh, he tried a lineup change one night and, you know, had different people batting in a different order and, and, uh, and they won. And he, he told me after the game that, uh, that he, this just came to him while he was taking a shower that, that morning. And, uh, and, uh, and well, let's try this. And so my lead said, uh, maybe the Royals would win more often if their manager would bathe more often. <laughs> and, and, you know, I just, you know, sent it out there. And uh, everybody seemed to really like it. Uh, it got, uh, um, got a lot of attention. So uh, I, I guess that would be one of the biggest scare I ever had. You know, Dick Hauser, who was another really nice guy, somebody yeah. that I enjoyed covering. Uh Three or four years after Dick passed away, uh, I was doing a, a, a Royals story, you know, the, the game story after the game. And I think Tony Muser was the manager then, uh, another good guy, another good person I enjoyed working with. And uh, I wrote the story and was, ready to, and, and was ready to hit the button and send it to New York for them to put on the wire. And I thought, well, some little voice in my head said, well, give it one more read. And I did, and one of Tony's quotes, you know, blah, 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 comma, close quotes, said Royals manager, Tony Muser. I had written, said Royals manager, Dick Hauser. Oh, my. And this was about four years after Dick had passed away. Mm. And I almost fell off that chair. I, I, my goodness, how yeah. did I do that? I hadn't been talking about, yeah. about Dick, you know, I hadn't been thinking about him really. So, you know, thank heavens I, I caught it. But can you imagine if that had gotten, and then maybe the editor in New York would have caught it, but maybe yeah. he wouldn't have. Yeah. And can you imagine if that had gotten on the wire? Oh, uh, so, you know, it's, you know, I, I thought at the time, how could my brain fail me like that? <laughs> but well, I, will, uh, I will tell you my all time favorite Doug Tucker optional lead. Um, and every once in a while, it didn't happen often, but you, I don't know if you weren't sure that you had the right angle or something, but if I'd be sitting next to you, you'd say, read this, see if it makes sense. And we were at the uh, K-State Oklahoma game in 2000 in Manhattan, and Oklahoma had come out of nowhere and were rapidly moving up the, the rankings, and they upset the, the Wildcats, who were ranked like number two Maybe, maybe K-State was number one and Nebraska was number two or something like that, but they certainly knocked K-State out of the, out of the top spot. And they were going to, Oklahoma was going to play at Nebraska the next week and Nebraska would be the new number one. And your optional lead said, seems like old times. And you, and then you went on from there to talk about the fact that Oklahoma was 
playing well and Nebraska was number one and they were going to have one of their, and this was big 12, you know, but one of their classic big eight uh, games from the early seventies and stuff. And that's my all time favorite Doug Tucker optional lead. Seems like old times. <laughs> so here, yeah. I think I remember that game. Yeah. You know, here, Dave, you talk about the, the biggest story I ever did. I, in one sense, it would be hard to argue that, that Bill Snyder, you can't say he resurrected that program because to, in order to be resurrected, you had to be alive at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, and, and you know that better than anybody, you know, I, talking to you about K-State and Bill Snyder is like trying to explain physics to Albert Einstein. You, <laughs> you know, well, it's like this, Al. <laughs> because, you know, you wrote, you literally wrote the book on that. Uh, and, but I, 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 I still don't fully appreciate or don't understand how Bill did that. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, there were, as you know, there were very serious, sober-minded people at K-State who thought it might be a good idea for that school to just drop football as Wichita State had done. The, you know, the, the last time, you know, they got, they kept getting in trouble. They kept getting in pro, on probation. At one point, and I verified this with somebody who was in the room when Bob Devaney was the the uh, the AD at Nebraska. He said uh, they were talking about Kansas State, and he said maybe it's time to put Kansas State on a slow boat to the Missouri Valley. Yeah. And and and, and I I don't think that if if it not, if if it hadn't been for what Bill did, there would not be a major college football program at K State right now. Yeah. I, I don't think there would be. And I I agree with you. I, I interviewed, uh, did one of these podcasts with Steve Miller recently, and it may, may not have released yet, but I did the interview recently. And I said, you know, we talked about the fact that there was discussion about dropping it or going to division one double a, or even division two or, or whatever. Um, and I said, the joke at the time was if you got caught speeding on Kimball Avenue, they didn't give you a speeding ticket. They gave you a football ticket. And if you got, <laughs> if you got caught twice, they'd make you go. And then, <laughs> and the other one was if, uh, when the big eight would send out the preseason ballots for the, to, you know, for your preseason poll, they'd already have Kansas state written in and in eight to just save you some time. It was, it was that bad. So do you think this, the, the turnaround that Bill Snyder affected, um, is the best overall story you ever covered? Uh, of course, it depends on how you define story, but as something that, that uh, yeah, I'll just say, yeah, without, without, without trying to, to define it, put too fine a point on it, yes. Uh, I, 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 I seriously doubt if there, if there was another man in the United States who would have been better suited for that job than, than, than Bill. And, uh, and, he, uh, and you talk about a character. Oh, when I retired, I got the nicest handwritten in purple ink letter from, from, from Bill. Uh, yeah. he, 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 mentioned, he alluded to a couple of things that I didn't had no idea that he would even still remember. And I, I can tell you the moment when I did fully realize that this guy was different. I, I wouldn't have predicted that, that he would have turned it around like he did, but they, what, what was it? You could, you, the they'd lost what 30 something in a row yeah they were, he came in they were 30. yeah oh 28 and one in the previous 29 games yeah yeah and it was they they they, they won one game his first year and it was uh was a north texas state yep and frank hernandez about, the pass on the final touchdown pass on the final play of the game they 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 they, they marched down the field uh it, you know it looked like Patrick Mahomes bringing the Chiefs down the field, <laughs> and they won. And I went. So I, my goodness, Kansas State won a game. <laughs> and so I went into the, I went down to to the interviews, expecting that this new head coach was going to be doing handstands and and, and it's just swinging from the chandelier. And he's stoic. He 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 is like you know he he's telling you if it's going to rain tomorrow night. Yeah. And I kept. I almost got upset with him as well. You know, I kept trying to get him to be animated. Yeah. Excuse me. And, and you know, and I said, well, 
what was going through your mind there? I was thinking about our package. Well, it, it, this is this is awesome. How, how do you feel? We we still have a lot to work on. <laughs> and he was so completely in control of himself. It was like nothing I'd ever seen or nothing I ever expected. And honestly, truly, I told somebody that night, this guy is different. He might actually be a success here. And that, that it was, that was the moment that I realized that this was a different breed of cat. Yeah. Pun intended. And, yeah. And uh, he was, uh, it's just, uh, it's people who weren't there. It's like, you know, and I don't like, I hate people who can compare sports to warfare. Yeah. But it's like, if you were on the beach at Normandy, you understand it better than anybody who was not there could ever possibly understand it. Yeah. If you weren't there, if you didn't see how bad they were, how, for how long, I mean, they were completely in it. And to know that he built that up to, to where they actually beat a number one ranked Oklahoma team for a big 12 championship. I, I, I don't think anybody who's, who wasn't there for the battle days can fully appreciate what Bill did. The, 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 it's, it's, um, it's hard. It's hard to fathom how bad they were. They, they were a, a complete embarrassment. They cheated, and they they, they these they were so bad they couldn't win even if they cheated. Remember, they got on. Um, they went on a serious probation. Yeah. When they, it was discovered that they had this elaborate scheme to where they put players on scholarship without reporting them. And there was squad limits. You could only have so many, you know, players on scholarship. And then third year of this program, when they got caught, they had accumulated what amounted to an extra senior class. They had like 37 yeah. guys on scholarship that they weren't supposed to have on scholarship. Uh, and nothing in the annals of NCAA enforcement was there ever anything like this. And during that same three-year period, their conference record was 0-26 or whatever. They did not win a single conference game, even though they were cheating in, in ways that, that no program had ever cheated. They still couldn't win. Yeah, uh, I, re I remember Lynn Dickey telling me one time that when he was a rookie with Houston, he was in the training room with, training room with some other rookies, and they were asking him about about his old pickup that he drove. And, and he said, I've driven this since high school. I said, well, why didn't you drive the car that school gave you? And he was like, what do you, what do you mean school? I said, well, you know, at such and such school, they gave us this car and it's such and such, you know, if you're a quarterback, you got this. And they were comparing and he said, we didn't even know how to cheat properly. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they, they, they didn't, you know, one of my favorites was, you know, one year, the, you know, on the, 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 inter the, the Interstate 70, you know, go, goes past and some students went out and under the, the, hi the highway sign, Interstate 70, they wrote in paint, Kansas State Zero, which I, <laughs> which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, they That's couldn't even beat Interstate 70. Yeah. And, uh, and the stories just go on and on and on about it, how completely, you know, as you know, there's, you know, usually the last thing they say in the press box is there will be no cheering in the press box. You can't cheer. I remember the SID at Kansas State admonishing people not to laugh in the press box. <laughs> Honest to goodness. He said, no, no laughing. I, I don't want to hear anybody laugh. He would say that before the game. Yeah. And it was hard not to do. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the you know, stat that, that I've used in – in the 40 years prior to Snyder's arrival in all of division one, K-State was dead last by a significant margin in total offense. And I don't remember what the numbers were, but it was like 289 yards of total offense per game, you know, over that 40 year period, which in college football is nothing not to be outdone. They were also dead last in total defense over that same 40 year period. So they were, they were equally bad all in all aspects of football. And so for Snyder to turn him into not only a top 20 team occasionally, but a top 20 program to me is one of the greatest stories. And you got to see it from the, from the very beginning. So the, the, yeah, another telltale sign is uh, one year before 
before Snyder got there, the uh, you know COSIDA, the uh, the the SI, the Sports Information Directors Group. Every year they uh, give out awards for the best uh, uh, media guide, or used to. I guess they still do. Yeah. And one year Kansas State uh, competed for it. They had a really good media guide, and one of the people on the committee. Uh, said, listen, we, you almost got number one, but, um, but the reason we didn't give you the, the award is you, you forgot to put in a bowl section. <laughs> and the guy looked at him and said, we've never been to a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course they hadn't. Yeah. And, uh, and but th- that's, it's just, it goes on and on and on how bad they were. You had to be there and see. Yeah. Well, I'm, I appreciate your time. I'm going to wrap up with one thing. I'm going to I'm going to throw a joke back at you that you you I remember I worked with you at the Big 12 championship game in 2003, and the next maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't Sunday afternoon, but maybe on Monday you called me up and you had a joke for me. And so I'll see if you remember your own punchline. If not, I'll give it to you. On uh, on December 5th, 2003. When it was 625 in Norman, Oklahoma, of course, you being a gr- proud graduate of the University of Oklahoma. So when it was 625 in Norman, Oklahoma, what time was it in Manhattan, Kansas? <laughs> 35 to 7. 35 to 7. <laughs> Very good. I remember, I remember you calling me that. I was in my office and I laughed and laughed and people were coming over to find out what was going on. And I was just laughing uncontrollably because to me that Doug, that spoke to who you were, that even though it was your school that that lost the game, that one, you were professional enough to know it was your job to cover it. And two, you just you had fun with sports. And that's why it was so much fun to work with you and work work for you. And um, it was just it was just a great time. So I wanted to wrap up with that one. See if you remembered the punchline. Uh, because I have told that joke many, many times, and I always give you credit when I do. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, yeah, my I friend, it's I remember that game very well. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's always good to catch up with you. I hope you're doing well, and uh, I'll let you know when when we go live with this. Very good, Dave. It's uh, it's always nice visiting with you, and let me say, uh, it's also been nice to see what a success you've been. Your the books that you've done, uh, your 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 professionalism, uh, it's uh, that that too has been enjoyable. It's not like uh, Bill Snyder bringing Kansas State back from the brink of death, but uh, but you you have accomplished a lot and you still are, and it's a pleasure to to be working with you still. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.